0: So welcome everybody to Understanding Climate Finance. My name is Fahim Nurali. I'm the Climate Finance Trade Commissioner based out of the Embassy of Canada in Washington, DC. It's my pleasure today to welcome Olivier Moussad, Chief Investment Officer with IFC's Global Energy Group. Olivier's group oversees the portfolio of over $11 billion of energy assets, including oil, gas, power, and related infrastructure in emerging markets. Olivier has over 18 years experience in the energy sector and has led a number of landmark transactions in emerging markets. In his role at IFC, he leads both the equity and debt investment in oil and gas, LNG, and energy infrastructure projects. Prior to his current role, he was the co-head of the oil and gas project finance at Standard Chartered Bank in London. Prior to that, he had technical and commercial roles at Schlumberger and Ecolochem International, which is a GE company. Uh, welcome, Olivier, and thank you for joining us.
1: No, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: So I thought we could sort of kick us off a little bit and telling us on some of the work that IFC does in energy. How's the energy investment priority shifted over the last 10 years?
1: Sure. So... I mean, for those who are not completely familiar, so IFC is the uh, private investment arm of the World Bank. Um, and, and really within the World Bank, which has you know, different different arms and one of the biggest ones working with the government, our duty is to essentially promote private sector investments in emerging markets. And uh, what it what it means is essentially we co-invest in projects, we call co- we lend in projects. Uh, Sometimes we actually help develop uh, those projects just to make sure they are bankable and of the right standard, and also they are beneficial to the countries we operate in. So over time, um, what that has meant is, you know, we are essentially not only following what's going on in the technological side, uh, in the price side, uh, but also on what's going on in in the environmental and what we have seen over the years where even though we started our first solar investment 10 years ago, which were pretty small, now essentially our investment in solar generation is multiples bigger than what it was before. Just to give you, you know, something really you know, it's indicative, but it gives a good idea where about 10 years ago, we would do about $2 billion a year of investments around oil and gas. Uh, mostly gas because that's what creates the most amount of jobs, but also oil because it creates a lot of revenue for our member countries who need the income. Uh, And solar was maybe just around $100 million. Now we've basically peaked um, at over $2 billion of solar investment alone, um, whilst actually from the gas side, because we don't invest in oil anymore, we were below $600 million. So the tide has completely turned. Obviously, pushed also by uh, by the reality of the climate issue and our political environment, uh, but also because um, solar uh, and wind power have become now competitive uh, and in some cases cheaper than hydrocarbon-based power.
0: Oh, interesting! Uh, and you you brought up an interesting point on um, transitioning from oil and no longer investing in oil. Could could you comment on that?
1: Sure. So. It's uh, essentially as part of the, uh, you know, during, during the, the Paris Climate Accords, um, we, you know, as an institution made, made a statement that, you know, we would only invest in hydrocarbons if, if it was in the poorest countries and if it was gas. Mm -hmm. Uh, So up until now, what had happened is, if I give you an example, for example, some of our uh, investments in Argentina or in Egypt a few decades ago, our our role in oil was seen to be quite important. Um, You know, CO2, uh, GSG was not a big issue or not recognized at the time uh, as being a big issue. But what we had was real issues around access to finance and transparency, which meant that financing a project in the US, in Saudi, uh, in the Middle East, wasn't that difficult, but then you would have these countries like Egypt, like Nigeria, like the Congo, like Argentina, who would have domestic resources that they wanted to be able to develop, but nobody trusted that it it was going to be investable because of the transparency issues, Mm -hmm. because of the environmental issues, because of the way they were dealing with communities. So the Chad Pipeline in Cameroon being one of those examples, where... Our mission there, we saw that our role was number one to bring private investment, but also make sure it wasn't in the correct way, which meant dealing with communities in a way which wasn't done before, which meant dealing with environment and social issues, which meant dealing with gas flaring, for example. So making sure that these projects, which are transformational for a country, would actually be done in the right way, and make sure they would benefit from the country, rather than being a cre- the, the cause for what has become now and later as the resource curse, where a country becomes completely reliant on its natural resource exports, but then doesn't create the value
0: for its citizens. Okay, that that makes sense. So on that line, where are you investing now? So what are the emerging sectors and geographies that you're just the most excited about Brian? Sure.
1: So it's a bit of a balance um, between essentially the the size of a need, the macroeconomic need of a country, um, and also what is already existing. So when we do any investment, uh, whether it's in energy or education or agriculture, we always look at what what is our strategy for that particular country, mm-hmm. um, and and first we have that lens because we see this particular place has a real need for education, but maybe not that much on the energy side because the investment is okay, the regulatory under- environment is understood. So let's not broke some. Let's not let's not try to fix something which is not broken, and let's really focus on what's important. And once we have done that, and let's say we have decided that for example, a few years ago, Kenya was one which really needed to have an overhaul on its energy sector. Um, what we saw is that there was a lot of solar resources which could be used. But then how do you make sure then that that solar resource is competitive? Because in the end, it's you know you can put a solar panel anywhere, um, but if it's not going to be the cheapest cost of solar, it is not going to be sustainable for the people. And, mm-hmm. and how do you displace coal buy something green, but that people cannot afford. And that, that is, you know, the other lens that we look at, it, that, we, that we look at projects. So, uh, and then you have different regions. So, for example, Asia, what is the big challenge in Asia is how, you know, even though they've done massive investments in, in solar, and I mean, arguably China is the largest investor in solar uh, electricity today, it is also the largest investor in coal. So how, what kind of investments can we do in China or in India to ensure that they invest less on coal? If I look at, for example, Latin America, which is a very mature power market, okay, what can we do uh, or what is needed? So if I look at Chile, for example, uh, well, the discussion is how do we move Chile, which has a lot of renewable resources, hydro and solar? Well, actually, let's look at the mining sector, which uses a lot of diesel now with hydrogen and green hydrogen how do we use these existing solar panels to create hydrogen which will be used to power trucks in the mining sector mm. uh, and and then you have places that say like vietnam who have massive wind resources and offshore wind is getting to be mature in europe and north africa and north america but it's not well known or well developed yet in asia so how do we find the right sponsors, bring them to uh, to Vietnam and put together a tender which works and is investable. And the last but not least and not by far, which is essentially Sub-Saharan Africa or Africa in general, but particularly Sub-Saharan Africa, where two thirds of the population still don't have access to reliable le- electricity mm-hmm. and, and are sometimes in places where the grid cannot work. And you have, let's say, 30% the grid loses about 30% of power uh, a year. So sometimes it's just it's not about creating more generation, it's making sure that the grid has investments, which ensures that the power produced gets to who it's going to it's supposed to get to, and that you have systems which allow uh, a reliable distribution. So we we have the benefit and we're fortunate enough that we can invest all along the value chain from equity uh to senior debt project finance bonds, and we try to target our investment in the way that it will have the most
0: impact for the dollar. Okay, yeah, that makes sense and aligns with the mission. What are some of the characteristics? When you, we just talked about you know projects that you would would look at, what are the characteristics of an investable project, power project, um, or what are sort of the, the, what's the check checkbox that you want to see in sure. a project?
1: So, as I've said earlier, I think the most important thing for us, which might not be obvious for a regular bank, a regular equity investor, which which looks for the right balance of risk and reward. uh, Yes, we look at it because I have a fiduciary duty not to lose money. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, even though I'm part of a public institution, I still have to make sure my projects are actually projects which are sustainable on their own. And sustainability also comes from financial sustainability um what we don't want to do is to displace um any other investor or 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 that we don't add some more pressure uh, into an existing system so for example another power plant which we don't think is needed but the government has signed something today and has given guarantees because they think in in tomorrow they will need more power because an election is coming but from our own estimate we see that actually Yes, there will be a need for an investment, but not for another five years. So, mm-hmm. so first of all, macroeconomic environment, macroeconomic analysis, political analysis, always. That's the way we want to make sure that this investment will be on strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is kind of a tie up in a way where is the regulatory environment strong enough right? because you can build uh, the best you, know, you can be driving. You can have a Ferrari, invest in a Ferrari, but if you're only going to be on gravel roads, it's not going to do any good. So make sure that the environment and especially the regulatory environment around that investment will be strong enough or has a path to be strong. And in the end, it's also management. Sponsor, sponsor, sponsor. Because the reality is a good management will manage to do things uh, out of bad assets and will keep them them current and deliver them. Mm -hmm. A bad management or, or, or an investor group which hasn't been well-designed, you can give them the best asset in the world, it's probably going to fail. And uh, and then after that, as I say, we have other considerations. But for me, def- definitely the top three is, you know, is it something where strategically, macroeconomically, we think it makes sense and it's online with our strategy and our mission? Mm-hmm. Is the environment conducive to that investment? And if it's not, can we fix it? And how can we fix it? And then the management. The rest will There's nothing. There's no more magic sauce besides that.
0: Okay, yeah, that 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 makes sense, and I think that sort of answers partly the next question I had is, what do you wish project developers knew about IFC uh, before coming to approach you for a conversation?
1: Sure, I think the biggest the biggest issue we have is is that many times there seems to be more money than projects and than good projects which means that sometimes we have to step in into the shoes of developers to create the foundation for good projects which become investable. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality, right? And that's what we have a group called Infra Ventures, so Venture Capital for Infrastructure, Mm -hmm. where we have to step into the shoes uh, of, of these developers. What we always say is come to us early. Unfortunately, many, many times, people see us as the lender of last resort, which is when they have expired all of the other options. And when we talk to people who don't know us, we say, well, this is the process. It takes a while because of a number of reasons, and a number of uh, box checking that needs to happen. Um, So let's just say it's a process which will take from the moment we sign the NDA until the moment you have an investment or a financing. Mm -hmm. On average, it's nine months to a year, which which wouldn't be that much different with others. And, And so when they hear that, because we are extremely transparent in the way we work, some of them say, well, that sounds complicated. You know, you guys are being difficult. You want to know everything, including the date of birth of my mother. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is necessary. And so they move on. And then six months later, they come back to us because they have tried and they didn't get everything they needed. And so, so they say, well, we know we talked six months ago. Can we still do it? And we still say, well, yes, it was, it was 12 months, six months ago, it was going to take 12 months. Mm-hmm. now you're coming to see me, it's still going to take 12 months. So the developer would have lost six months along the way. So we would much rather have that discussion in parallel with other discussions mm-hmm. and help shape the project if possible so that we can be part of a project. And if we cannot be part of a project, that's perfectly fine. We will also say that very, very quickly.
0: So then when you're looking at a project and you're looking at the other project sponsors, approximately what part of the capital structure would IFC contribute into a, into a project?
1: Sure. So we are very fortunate that because of our mission, we want to be part of a capital structure, which is the one that is missing. So sometimes Mm -hmm. you need project finance debt, or let's say most of the time and large amount of debt, maybe some syndication. Mm -hmm. So we will be there. But sometimes finding the debt is not the problem. Sometimes you need a bit of blended finance, uh, or you need a line of mezzanine um, or actually you're, you're getting to a point where you're seeing that the market is mature enough and you want to do a bond but you know so in there this is kind of a discussion that we have and we try to find where is our best play you know sometimes we have to do both equity and the debt because you are missing let's say 30 percent of the project is seen to be just too much right mm-hmm. so we, I mean, so it's part of analysis and we are again we are very fortunate to be able to be gravitating all around the capital structure, but it also means that it's different type of conversations that you need to have. And unfortunately, I think, um, you know, like any DFI, um, which are mostly known to be doing senior debt, we are a lot more flexible. And and I think a lot of developers don't don't realize that.
0: I I asked some of your colleagues about this earlier in other podcasts, but can you comment um, on IFC's commitment to climate and how it's changed over the last few years?
1: Sure. So I- essentially, the I think there's you know there have the multiple angles as I said earlier, and right? very there clearly there's the, there's the reality that mm-hmm. now, thankfully, technological progress has been such that it is sometimes and more and more and, and green is better because it just is better. Right? Mm-hmm. And let's just let's be, let's just be honest. If I can produce things for cheaper, let's just go for that. That. that the reality is most of the time and, and most of our investments now are going through the green angle. And that's true on the energy sector. That's true on the transport sector. That's true on the agriculture side. Mm. But we also have to be very realistic, which is in Africa, like you have different needs on climate where Africa, which is you know, the, which is going to be the most populous continent in just a decade, it's over 20 percent of the population. It's around 1% of global GDP, and it's less than half a percent of total emissions. Hmm. So as we go into the concept of just transition, we also have to be sure that what we do has the most impact. And sometimes investing, let's say, in a gas-fired power plant in Mozambique is actually the right thing to do, even though it appears that from a climate point of view, what are we doing investing in hydrocarbon-based energy? Uh, when you actually you have to show that, well, that that particular plant has a minuscule impact on climate. Uh, and actually, to be able to do the equivalent in Mozambique, you would need to have all of the solar panels in all of Africa to deliver the same amount of power. Um, so you have to put that into the scope. Um, but it is absolutely true that if we want to do any investment, when we go see our shareholder, we have to explain very, very clearly what is the climate story behind, and that we are not doing investments which might make a lot of money but are negative on the climate side. Mm-hmm. That's not the game we are in. Like there is no, there is no trade-off. We have to say, yes, we are doing this investment, and yes, there is a path to go green. But the reality is, this is why this project now is needed more, uh, or is the best possible project for the next ten or twenty years, mm-hmm. rather than doing a let's say solar plus battery project that is now active in you know in in Hawaii which is becoming completely consistent but the reality is the people that the geographies and the people we work in they need the access to energy today not in 20 years when everything will be perfect so it's always a balance so the commitment to climate is 100% there we are multiple initiatives all around uh, the IFC, but you know you have to balance it out with the reality of the markets as well.
0: I think that's all of my questions I have for you today. Well, thank you so much for your time. Are there any parting thoughts that you have for our audience?
1: Sure. So I think the, the important thing for us, and especially around the energy sector, which is still the, one of the sector which represent the most enough amount of uh, emissions, is today with a, with a target to reach the two degrees Celsius. Um, we are not going to meet these targets if we continue to do business as usual. So we have to be more creative, we have to be more aggressive, but we also have to be realist on what is the need on specific regions. So as I said earlier, you know, when it comes to Asia, what can we do to make sure that we displace coal at the largest quantity uh, with the highest impact? Uh, when it comes to investing in technology, well, we've talked about batteries, um, now, hydrogen looks really interesting, but it's going to take a bit of time. Now, if we have to put that into the context of countries or continent, which have a minuscule impact on the climate, but have a need for power today, it's a very, very tough balance. So I think it's important for everybody to recognize and to realize that whatever we look at and all of these energy investments, yes, do we always look at the climate lens? Absolutely but we also have to make sure that we hit our developmental impact uh, and make sure that the population have access to energy, which means access to uh, jobs, which means access to education and to health.
0: Good. No, that's, that's, that's really uh, important to sort of outline the, the impact mission and how that connects back. So I appreciate that. Uh, so thank you again so much for joining us. And uh, thank you to our audience for listening. If you have any comments, please share them. Um, please rate us um, on your podcast platform as well. Um, Always welcoming feedback on the podcast. And we have a number of really great guests coming up on the podcast. So do stay tuned. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Vane.